Leanne Conway tested positive. Yeah, and her because the hero of the year, her daughter, posted about it on TikTok. (laughs) I'm obsessed with that drama. That's the best drama in politics. I fucking love it so much. So or TikTok teens telling on the rich, wealthy, well-connected parents. I love that. Okay, all right. Well, all right. Let's let's get back to this. Welcome to our newest segment, PPR After Dark, where we three sailors hang out in the captain's quarters and wax philosophic about the state of this shithole country. I'm your fearless Captain Mel, and I have Stephen and Kyle joining me tonight. Hey, guys. How's your Howdy. week? Hello. How's life? Long. It's going. <laughs> <laughs> We're here to inspire everybody. <laughs> I'm also drinking wine now. Well, it's gin in a wine glass, but it's about, <laughs> as, about as fancy as you can make it. <laughs> That's nice. I'm I'm in uh, quarantine right now. I have to get tested for COVID tomorrow. Someone close to me may have exposed me to the virus, so I'm chilling in my apartment. Joy. Yeah. In case anyone was worried that you know the pandemic was over. So. I. Uh... In Texas, at least where I am in Dallas, they are acting increasingly like it is. Mm. If you go just drive through on a Friday night, the parts of town where people might hang out, it's just packed. Yeah, Yeah, all bars are allowed to open at 100% capacity here and now, regardless of if they serve food or whatever. Yeah. Wow, we're fucked. (laughs) Schools are back to yeah. Yeah, I I I am surprised that we haven't had a wave yet. Um, and perhaps it's because more people are wearing masks. Um, but I don't I don't know. I it's just like we're at this constant level of not greatness. No. American exceptionalism, baby. Well, we got to be number one in deaths and everything. Yeah, we're still sure. working our way up. Yeah, we have actually a bit of a ways to go, at least on the per capita. Yeah, well. Yeah, no. What is it? The Swedes, man. I thought it was Belgium that had like the highest oh, per capita rate. Spain also has a pretty high rate. Um, I mean, yeah, it's not like we're alone in folks. I mean, there's a lot of factors that I can't say I know exactly why it's driving some of those things, but we're not alone in having leaders that are uh, reinforcing bad cultural dispositions yeah, <laughs> that are just not suited to stopping this virus in yeah, any meaningful great. way. That's so great. Good. Love it. Anyway. Yeah, no, we're so good. good. I mean, all, all things considered, we're all here. Yeah. We're still alive, kicking, here to complain Before. about the world. Uh, speaking of the world uh, we thought that we might bring with us a piece of news that you may have missed from this last week as a sort of anchor on our after dark episodes Um, just a little bit of current events I suppose Um, for me 
I have an interesting article from In These Times. They reported last week that employers have begun using digital surveillance technology to increase and control and maintain productivity of their workers by spying on them in their own homes. Let's go. Yeah. It's like Twitch streaming for an audience that that you don't know is there. So due to the COVID-19 pandemic, 42% of U.S. workers are now doing their jobs from home. As a result, many employers are requiring workers to download spy software onto their computers and other work devices. In some uh, instances, employers are downloading it to their computers without the consent of the worker. Um, Check the shit out. Business software products from Hubstaff, which tracks a worker's mouse movements, keyboard strokes, web pages visited, email, file transfers, and applications used, are surging in sales. So are sales for T-sheets, which workers download to their smartphones so that employers can track their location. Another product called Time Doctor downloads videos of employee screens and uses a computer's webcam, which can take a picture of the employee every 10 minutes. As one worker who was subjected to Time Doctor told NPR, quote, if you're idle for a few minutes, if you go to the bathroom or to the kitchen, a pop-up comes up and says, you have 60 seconds to start working again or we're going to pause your time. Another system, InterGuard, can be secretly installed on workers' computers. As the Washington Post notes, it creates a minute-by-minute timeline of every app and website they view, categorizing each as, quote, productive or unproductive, and ranking workers by their productivity score. Other employers are using a lower tech approach, requiring workers to stay on a teleconference like Zoom all day so they can be continually watched. Do, 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 do. So what's the fucking recourse here? Absolutely nothing. It's legal. It's perfectly legal to do this shit in the United States. Laws that would limit the reach that employers have into the private lives of its employees, including into their own homes during the workday, and require to notify workers of the installation of such spyware are outdated. They haven't been updated since 1983 and do not include new technology in the digital era. What's more concerning is that working from home becomes the, becomes the new normal. Employers are looking to keep much of their workforce from returning to brick and mortar offices. What this means is that workers will continue to be alienated from one another and the ability to organize against workplace abuses like the spyware Mm. collectively bargain for concessions from employees is going to become astronomically more difficult. As writer Stephen Hill notes for In These Times, worker advocates must push for a strong and modern legal data protection framework, and that should include an effective enforcement system against privacy abuse that creates a disincentive against illegal spying behavior. Remote work should not become a downward slide toward a big brother, big brother panopticon that penetrates into society ever more deeply, including into our homes. So that's yikes. my news. Yikes, big yikes. Uh, were we surprised? Like, I'm surprised that I'm surprised. I think, I think that's been well, like the theme of 2020. You know, I, I I would like to say I have a surprise for you. We got a new piece of software coming to the Protean Collective. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you're just like, going to see all my like Google searches like the other day. Actually, it's not what you think. It's called Chill Guard, and. It, <laughs> If you're working too much or you're on Twitter too much, it tells you to like go take a walk <laughs> or uh, like, like, I don't know, like take a nap, maybe, I don't know, smoke some, you, some I noticed that you Googled, or whatever. I noticed that you Googled vor porn for an essay. Do you want to like take a break? <laughs> I was going to say that the, like y'all going through my internet search caches, it's just like pictures of hamburgers, 
what how like the body without organs but make it sexy how do i find the body <laughs> without organs and make it sexy oh body without God. organs in a swimsuit <laughs> <laughs> it's just yeah, straight my, hell my google search is just god there's a reason i've remained silent <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in the shit that you look up in like the course of your like daily comings and goings when it comes to like writing essays and articles and shit, like, God, man, taken out of context, people are like, why do you need to know how to bury a dead body? Just, you know, it's, it's research. I'm this a writer. <sighs> it's literary work that I'm doing here. What's interesting. Well, I mean, I think what's most interesting about this is that there's kind of this sort of corporate trickle-down mechanism. Because if you remember, I think it was the New York Times who reported a few years ago, they published this really big expose on Amazon and how Amazon was doing precisely this, except within mm. the context of its on, as well as its on-site employees. Mm -hmm. um, at the time I knew someone who worked at Amazon who they knew it was happening, but I don't know if, uh, they, they were unsure if other people knew that it was happening to people that they knew it was happening to. And in general, there's this kind of like, there's this idea that like tech, like when extracted from its like tech, when integrated into the methods of extraction from working people and from, you know, the global South and stuff that capitalism relies on is going to continue to innovate its way into new dystopias over and over again every single day as long as it is firmly within the confines of the sort of like finance capital intelligentsia for lack of a the bourgeoisie i guess would be a better term but like it, our modern moment is going to be characterized by the center the, the levers of Sil silicon valley um tanking in upon themselves to help liberals figure out new ways to spy on us while we go to the bathroom. Well, That's gonna be cool. I saw a tweet the other day. Um, I'm pissed I didn't save it, but I saw a tweet the other day that reminded me of this article where it was um, some guy who was like, did you know that, you know, dude, did you, me, did you know that Netflix used to mail DVDs to people? And then it's like, my Amazon smartwatch is like, we've recorded that your productivity has dropped 30% in the last 10 minutes. So we're going to drop your hourly wage from seven seventy-five dollars to $1. twelve for the next seven minutes and 45 seconds. Please fix your productivity while sitting on the Amazon line or whatever, you know, it's just like this yeah. technology is just going to. And it, it obviously doesn't have to be that way, right. Or this way, but it, it's an extension of, you know, what I think, you will perk up when I say this term, Kyle, but like, you know, the society of control where we, we no longer have this eight hour period of time where we're monopolies, literally monopolizing people's time. And so people in this current state, when they're working at home, arguably many people are committing time theft and um, are getting free time back. Uh, and that's a threat on many levels to people. Obviously, it also makes them think, oh, well, these people should be more productive. And underlying any of the justifications of this technology is like, well, if you're not doing anything wrong, then why should you complain, right? If you're a productive worker or if you're a good student, um, in the case of the surveillance around students and some of the stuff that I'm sure both of you have seen, right. uh, we don't even have to get into the details of that. I mean, it, it, 
it is disturbing. Proctor, um, you as a cop. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 disturbing. And instead of us, you know, moving towards a better understanding of like, huh, maybe things don't actually take as much time as <laughs> right. You know, it, it is presumed that they take. And what is the value of this time? And why am I compensated for this, that, and the other? Um, yeah, we have to like, you know, and by we, I mean um, folks that are committed to maintaining the status quo yeah they have to reinvent that ability to control and it's also uh to your point i believe earlier it's financially advantageous if one it becomes well conditioned and then two you know it helps them realize reduced capital outlays for real estate mm -hmm. and also helps them reduce the capacity for uh labor to organize um outside you know within uh the company setting which well, I mean, is one of the main ways that people organize you right. know in labor is within the company setting you like, know what do you do when your shop floor literally becomes digital i mean that's definitely a conversation well what happens is that your listservs become surveilled <laughs> that's right <laughs> i can confirm that this is 100 percent having negative effects on active organ organizing campaigns for to organize a union in a workplace that were not going perfectly but necessarily by any means but were going well at it active and engaged organizers and workers who were walking things forward and then the whole company goes remote and everything falls apart it just it, that's just that's 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 all of it well and what's mo and it, to what you were saying Stephen, i i find that very compelling and interesting as you said i did perk up uh, but in part because there's this sort of, there's this consistent mixture that happens in our contemporary society that is really important to continuing these status quos. And it's the, tra and the transition from a more disciplinary society where sort of like the, the pub, like a, making a public spectacle out of some, out of punitive, uh, 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 out of a punitive response to something that is quote unquote illegal or unfitting for that particular society has changed into this more fir first transitioned into a more institutionalized and socialized form of restriction, punishment, et cetera, discipline, and is now to the point of uh, to a, the society of control um, is that not only it, it's this mixture of a punitive uh, disciplinary controlling society as and it melds perfectly with the way that individual people internalize uh, those particular mechanisms to the point where the reason why someone says, well, you shouldn't have anything to worry about, you're not doing anything wrong, ergo, this is all fine, is because that they have ultimately internalized the disciplinary modes of their contemporary society and decide and started to police themselves as well as the police around them, police people around them, because who is going, first of all, this is an incredible, I, I feel comfortable speaking for the collective saying that this is an incredibly pro time theft podcast. Time theft is very good. <laughs> steal, steal. after all. We, I mean, I encourage, on. I encourage all of you to steal time from the Protean collective uh, because yeah, none of us are necessarily monitoring what we're all doing. Uh, and, and a tendency, and a tendency that is ironically resisted in some of this uh, and in a lot of labor is, um, and by ironically, I mean, it's, it's something that it's touted. It's been touted by consulting firms and other 
um, economists and lots of people in the development world, particularly with this idea of like building contracts around results um, to have it a bit more clear and then not really giving a shit about how the, the sausage is made. And for some things that's obviously very bad, you know, when it has like physical real implications, but when it's like, I don't know, a, a thought product or, um, or a certain vague result that no one is actually exactly sure how it gets done, but you know what it looks like when it's there. But like people are very poorly capable in management of these firms of able to do, being able to do that. So what they want to do is monitor your time. They want to make sure that, you know, you're, you're squeezing out all of that stuff that they want you to squeeze out in exactly the way that they want you to do that. They're not actually using technology to facilitate any sort of creative freedom in your work. Um, because like, if you had creative freedom in your work, then you would have a little bit more control of your work. And also like, you know, you would be able to dictate a certain amount of value for what that is uh, without necessarily any saying, amount it's going to take this much time. Yeah. Any amount I mean, of freedom is automatically like the, the, the moral of the story for all of this is that a gain for a worker is always bad. There are instances in which this has revealed a lot of the unnecessary office spaces that people have had. Now, going, I, I believe mm -hmm, people should mm -hmm. be able to have workplaces. I think it's important so we can get out of our houses and socialize with each other. Yes. But it also revealed that like there's a lot of people who are do doing jobs right now that don't need to go in and deal with their terrible managers staring standing over like their shoulder the entire time they prove that they don't need that that can never be a gain there has to be a benefit for owners and it has to be a like a drawback for workers in order for everything to maintain like it's current status quo so the fact that this could even be a potential gain for someone who's like oh as it turns out i was finally able to prove that i can do this shit from home and so now i have young children and i can stay home and do childcare. or i like in my instance when i started working from home i didn't realize how much of a benefit it was going to be um for like okay this is going to sound ridiculous because i just mentioned people's children but i have an incredibly disabled dog who takes medication at seven o'clock, 11 o'clock, three and o'clock, seven, 11, three and 11 every day. It's a particular and responsibility. Who, yeah, there's, it's, it's just child. a lot of responsibility. It was hard for us to, one of us to come home and to make sure, and we had to coordinate it all the time or whatever. And it's just like, wow, I, I had a benefit for this, but no, of course, someone would have to start spying on you the second that you get some sort of a benefit to make sure you're not doing too much time theft even yeah. though your job takes half as long as they think it does. Right. You know, it's just ridiculous. But, right. you know. and, and if they were to actually find out that half the time you had been in the office that you were you know, doing other bullshit, well, then they might cut your pay or they might fire you or this, that, or the other. It's, it's, it's often an adversarial relationship and it just continues to be further alienating and adversarial, unfortunately. Well, thanks for sharing, Mel. Yeah. <laughs> Good way to start off tonight's festivities. It's great. Um, Kyle, what about you? What'd you, what'd you bring in? Um, this is, there's, this was reported in a few places. I'm reading Alex Press's writing out of Jacobin right now. Um, the earlier this month, nurses at Mission Hospital in Asheville, North Carolina voted to unionize, taking place in one of the most anti-union states in the country and challenging a bitterly all uh, bitterly anti-labor employer the campaign is a monumental victory for labor it's 1800 employees um i think alex did a really good job of framing the event within the context of organizing in the south but what's most significant 
for my you know own personal grievances against powerful and rich people is that the owner of this hospital it was recently purchased by a company called HCA the uh, HCA uh, HCA Medical I think is their name now they used to just be called the uh, they were called the healthcare company for a little while they were founded by uh, two doctors and the former owner of Kentucky Fried Chicken not the original one. Uh, not the original herbs and spices, but the second uh, set of herbs and spices. And um, their former CEO is uh, someone that I'm intimately familiar with. He was once the governor of the state of Florida, and now he's a senator from the state of Florida. Um, so Rick, when Rick Scott was the CEO of HCA, the biggest case of Medicare fraud in the history of cases of Medicare fraud happened where they had to pay out, I think like 1.5 billion, I think it's higher than that actually, $1.6 billion in a collection of fraud claims and whistleblower lawsuits and stuff like that because they basically lied to the federal government and stole a bunch of money from them. Well, shocker, the, the company that Rick Scott used to be the CEO of are gigantic union busters and are known for hiring outside firms to come in and do... Uh, uh, um, to, to basically to come in and hold a uh, quote unquote talk back sessions, which in labor organizing, they're just listening sessions. It's where a, a, a union buster comes in and tries to scare you with a whole bunch of information that those captive um, listening sessions that everyone's required to go to. Yes, precisely. And in this case, what's most, what's most insidious is that this is a captive session that uh, was occurring in a hospital that's filled with COVID-19 patients like all hospitals are right now. Um, and they had no option to opt out of the meeting. 12 nurses were pulled from the floor immediately and put into that meeting. Uh, well, so HCA has basically taken a big old fat fucking L and about 1,800 nurses organizing and represented by the National Nurses United voted to unionize, which is really good news. It's, it's still a really long battle because there's a contract negotiation period that has to happen, but this is a gigantic healthcare corporation. I think maybe the largest healthcare provider in the country. They were at one, the largest private healthcare provider in the country. I know they were at one point. Basically, they purchased uh, what was, I believe, formerly a nonprofit hospital. Basically, this is just the ultra rich trying to get ultra richer by taking advantage of communities in the South. Like half the profits from this company, which is a billion dollar company last year, is like, like out of their 80 billion dollar profits or something like that, almost half of them came from Medicare and Medicaid claims. So basically, this is a corporation that is able to get so rich and wealthy because we don't have a universalized healthcare system in the United States. In general, I had some thoughts about this, but then I reread Alex's article and I thought the end of it actually summed it up better than I could at all. And this is Alex Press and Jacobin. That the labor movement is only as strong as its weakest members, and so long as the South remains a low-wage haven for industry, all workers in the United States will continue to suffer, which is what makes the mission nurses' victory last week so significant. It was the largest union victory at a hospital in the South since 1975. May it serve to launch an offensive that is long overdue. I very much agree. And some of the better, some of the cooler victories from labor organizing this year, at least in Florida, have been at hospitals. Uh, I know that I can remember at least two cases. One of them I can't remember where the other uh, where the other organizing campaign was. One of them was in a really big 
Flor a big, really big hospital in South Florida. And so it's really, there's a lot of hope, especially w with the sort of the aggression and, you know, from what I can tell, at least the, you know, militancy. I know some, I know some NNU organizers and actually they are all listening. So hello. You are all very cool, smart, and good looking. This is like, it's, it's something that needs, not only needs to happen, but this was so important because within the context of COVID-19, frontline workers, including nurses, including service workers, including all of, the, all of these like incredibly important and valuable workers are going to continue to get stiffed by their bosses in spite of keeping their businesses open during COVID-19, in spite of literally keeping people alive and helping to keep the death toll down, uh, helping to mitigate the blowback from all of this, because th this is part of what happened. The, the organizing campaign was going on, I believe, before, I'm not, I'm not sure, certain of this, but I believe before HCA bought the hospital. But uh, one, of the one of their first big sort of not pre-union public announcement of their union victories, I believe, was back in April or back in May when they started getting a lot of COVID patients. And the, these are corporations who have shown themselves willing to charge the government for providing healthcare services to the tune of billions and billions of dollars, and then rather using that money to invest in better PPE for their employees, they use it to hire union busting firms that are listed on tons of contracts at the National Labor Relations Board. This is what HCA did here. It's what they've done in the past before, and they'll do it again. It really, the, the only thing that I, I take away from this story is that organized workers and groups of workers who are willing to pull their labor in favor of making demands of their bosses is still into the year of our Lord, 2020, one of the most powerful things that people can do in order to fight for dignity, respect, and the amount of control that is not just deserved, a fraction of the amount of control of their workplace that is actually deserved because they're the ones who keep it running. So it's a, uh, it's, it's still be a fight. They got to, they got to bargain a contract, negotiate it. But you know, this is a huge this step, is a really good story. Yeah. Big deal. Right. Huge step. Solidarity with those folks. That's gotta be hard to do during a pandemic too. Just man. Fuck yes. Fuck these fucking private healthcare providers. You think they can just trample all over people. <laughs> it, it's always, it's just, it feels so good. Like real warmth. Whenever I hear about these stories where workers just like say, fuck you to the boss, you know, mm, mm, so good. We need it. We don't get, a, get enough. No, we don't. We don't get enough. enough of this good stuff. Yeah. Yay. Good news. I like good That's news. That's very good news. That's very good news. Um, that makes me think of the fact that it's not final yet, but um, the Dallas Morning News, which is a, you know, the daily here in Dallas. It's a big, big market um, and a pretty significant paper. They have uh, a union effort and um, they're pretty far into it. They've already put in most of their ballots. It's looking like they're going to win that vote. Oh, they're um, in an election already, damn. Yeah, uh, and, and they've had some small victories, which, um, you know, it's hard to attribute any one out come to any one cause, but uh, they had pay cuts restored recently. Um, and and they're, for whatever reason, I, you know, I don't want to say this is necessarily connected, but their their managing editor resigned. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's cool to see 
in my hometown, you know, a, a news organization unionizing, um, it's still going to be rough times ahead in the media industry broadly, uh, especially in the newspaper industry. But um, yeah, we gotta we gotta celebrate these victories when we got them, right? Yes. Mm. You know what we should do? Sidebar. <clears throat> we should do a series on labor organizing. Just like, what is the process? How does it work for PPR? Yeah, I agree. Kyle. Uh, <laughs> you know i don't know i don't know uh, if i want to do that let me think about that yeah, you can get back to us <laughs> oh absolutely and i got and i got a buddy to pull into this as well the other the organizing department liaison in my branch of the iww who uh is my favorite prickly prickly marxist academic uh ever uh is a uh, he needs to be in front of people talking about labor organizing. Like, so yeah, I will. Fuck yes. I'll start brainstorming. Cool. Okay. Steven, what do you, what do you uh, have for us? I, I have two pieces of news. One's a bit of a bummer. Um, it's, it's evolving. So it may not, um, it may not be a total bummer, but uh, basically We've had a big wave of voter registration here in Texas, and uh, there's been a big fight about mail-in voting in particular, and we're not one of the states that's been open to transitioning to that for reasons which you can read into. Mm. Uh, and I've written a little bit about that, but um, this happened uh, as of October 2nd, satellite offices where voters can drop off completed mail-in ballots um, will be closed so that all counties across Texas can only have one drop-off point. So Travis County, which is where Austin is, originally had four, three in downtown. And Harris County, which is where Houston is, had 12. Yep. Um, and these are blue counties. Is this like the COVID version of closing polling stations? Like this is just blatant voter suppression. It's yeah. in my view, it's blatant voter suppression. And he's claiming, oh, the need for voter security. And there's this whole narrative that people have been pumping up right around uh, ballot harvesting and um, you know these things that uh, critical researchers would suggest have never seriously occurred in any way and and furthermore are um you know these allegations can be characterized by some you know argument around precognition of crime or the prediction of felony as opposed to the actual statement uh that felonies have occurred and so it's just yeah it's it there's no precedent for uh, these security claims, uh, and yet it's happening. But the good news or the wrinkle is that, you know, people are fighting these things, and this has been an ongoing fight, and there's been back and forths around this fight um, in terms of what uh, has been decided by the Supreme Court in Texas and um, just the realities of how things panned out. Mm. Um, you know, like opening basketball stadiums to voting, for example, has been a big thing for Texas, for example. Um, to be able to serve people. But yeah, it's it's an obvious case of uh, feeling threatened, which I think is also the upside because the polls are indicating that at least, you know, it's neck and neck at a statewide level. Um, and, you know, the gamble being that if you can just choke off enough counties that would have enough votes to go 
for Biden, you know, you might be able to stave that off for one election. Uh, not to say that anyone's necessarily betting on it, but it just it reeks of desperation right. in my view. It's very right. blatant. Um, so that's well, that's the bit of the bitter pill um, that we're I going mean, through right now here in Texas. It fucking blows my mind. I mean, we've had mail-in voting for forever, and yep. this has never been an issue explicitly in any election before this. People have mailed in votes from overseas, right? And there's never been this issue of the great you know, irony is that the Republicans are sending out voter uh, applications for vote by mail to people who are over 65, who like on national polls will go towards Republicans by like 10%. So they're playing this two sided game where they're cynically trying to get the people who are statistically more likely to vote for them access and then trying to choke off access anywhere, even at the risk of choking off access to some of their own voters. Um, because they're willing to just play that hard gamble, which is just gross. Well, so um, it's campaign world. It's a numbers game, right? It's like, okay, if we, lo- we lose this amount of votes in these places by enacting this, but we can still sort of sweep out uh, VB- vote-by-mail ballots to uh, the people who will turn out consistently, get- we can figure out how we can sort of gauge the metric to see whether or not – like. What kind, of a, what kind of an impact is this going to have in these counties and in these precincts versus uh, with, with our typical voting base versus with a typical quote unquote blue voting base or what have you. And they see that it's, it's just beneficial for them. Like it's because they're pretty, it's because the Republicans are like absolute craven monsters who happen to be pretty fucking good at politics and also just a quick side note i want to take this as an opportunity to announce my new grindcore band uh ballot harvest uh and we'll be releasing our first record here in a couple of weeks oh uh, shit so even what does that even mean what is a ballot harvest what the fuck does that even mean so ballot harvesting it's it's a very sinister sounding term um but it's actually a practice that has been done by both sides for a long time and it's basically when you you know uh, go out and you have people legally complete their mail-in votes or what have Bulk you and collection. seal them. Yeah. And then you bring them in for them. Oh yeah. Um, that's a, I've done that. God. Oh God. Oh yeah. God. That's legal, right? I mean, it's a sealed envelope. But the idea is that people are either collecting them from dead people or that they're throwing them out or that, you know, this, that, and the other. They're things. like forging signatures on your ballot or whatever. The yeah. Fuck. So, Stuff like that. Yeah, those are the sorts of allegations and that it's like, you know, open to fraud is the allegation, but the evidence of fraud and the, the lengths to which people would have to go to actually execute a conspiracy of the levels that are being alleged is, it's absurd to believe that that would go on without critical and objective journalists of all stripes being able to pick up on that and find out about it. Why do they keep losing if it's so insidious and effective? Why do they suck so much? The Democrats? Wanna... <laughs> yeah, like if, if the Democrats are coming to harvest all of your ballots and, you know, raise the dead and get them to vote for Joe Biden or whatever, like if they're, if they're so capable and good at doing that, then like, but that, that's, that's, that's Why the do point. Why do they suck? <laughs> well, yeah, the, the logic isn't supposed to connect or anything. Democrats don't win a lot. They're like, they, like, and they may do fairly well in November, but it, all in all, when it comes to state legislatures and governorships and stuff, they've been taking else for years and years. So you can tell it's just a craven political strategy that yeah. will probably work with a good portion of their base because, well, they have a communications monopoly on a good portion of their base and they understand how to 
like fight to win and they don't give a shit about what it takes for them to do it like (laughs) even like trying to literally trying to manufacture voter fraud uh like as a like a national pandemic when we should be based off of statistics we should be more worried about shark bites and bee stings than voter fraud um but you know great you're listening to PPR After Dark, where we three sailors hang out in the captain's quarters and wax philosophic about the state of the shithole country that we live in. Stay tuned for the rest of tonight's episode. We're going to start with... Um, Some breaking news. It's not breaking anymore. Twitter went to absolute fucking hilarious hell last night when it was uh, confirmed that Donald Trump and his wife, Melania, contracted COVID-19. Okay, so my my, just just very quickly, what was better? The night where everyone found out that Trump got COVID or the day when everyone saw Ted Cruz like that porn tweet? (laughs) Which was a better day for... I can't decide which was a, f- a funnier time to be on Twitter. I was not on Twitter at that time. I, didn't I don't know. think I was either. I mean, no, I know about it. But I didn't, oh I, I didn't join Twitter until 2018. Oh, so, oh, wow. You are all so much smarter than I am. And then I deleted it and then joined Twitter again in 20, early 2019 when I started podcasting. I had a Twitter so account in 2009. Um, oh, I but I can imagine tweets. I can I can imagine that that was a hilarious fucking night. Last night was probably the most I've laughed on Twitter in at least six months. <laughs> like everyone went nuts, and the memes coming out of it have just been fucking hilarious. But I think it's it's worth it to chit chat about this a little bit because you know. I don't know about you, but I certainly had White House become super spreader site on my fucking 2020 bingo. <laughs> that is exactly what's happening. Donald Trump, Melania Trump, Hope Hicks, Mike Lee, Senator of Utah, Ronna McDaniel, RNC chairwoman, John I. Jenkins, University of Notre Dame president, Kellyanne Conway, who was outed by her daughter on TikTok as being positive for COVID. Tom Tillis. So, uh, yeah, Senator Tom Tillis have all tested positive. Most of the rest of Trump's family has tested negative, but I have looked at uh, the contract tra- contact tracing that's been going on. Um, we're talking about potential exposures to like upwards of like multiple hundreds of people just from this one. Um, I think, who was it? Uh, there was a Rose Garden fundraising event where half of these folks co- may have contracted it and mike lee is on video in the rose garden with no mask on hugging and like kissing the cheeks of people and like shaking their hands and they all flew back to their respective homes in various other states after that so we're looking at like sturgis well probably you know sturgis levels of like spread but not numbers i mean just what a got, bunch of like mon- gotta, what a bunch of monsters well, like who 
who have never cared about how their actions affect anybody ever. And I cannot wait to see the, like, there's going to be gold medals for gymnastics that the same people who were talking shit about people wearing masks and stuff, like, it's going to be incredible, I think. This is, like, Greek tragedy levels of irony. Like, this, this is, like, I have just, I am ecstatic. (laughs) It's like, I'm seeing the commentators on Fox saying things like Trump did it for America. He did it for us so that we wouldn't be afraid. And it's like, yeah, he did what he always did. Got coughed on by somebody. Like he doesn't (laughs) do anything else. Jesus Christ. That's hilarious. Well, and you know, Trump went to Walter Reed uh, VA hospital a little bit earlier today. Um, And half of the story is that, you know, it's standard practice for a president who's, you know, seriously ill to just go to the hospital early in case something happens. He's going to be working out of the hospital Uh, offices and, uh, you know, in the hospital or whatever. But there's other reports that says that, you know, he's experiencing symptoms worse than his wife, which is why his wife is still at the White House in quarantine and hasn't gone to the hospital with him and and that like. He tried a uh, controversial antiviral treatment that has, you know, not literally anyone else who isn't a rich motherfucker has no access to it in the United States, which uh, apparently scientifically has had less than 1% effective, like, <laughs> results for this shit. I'm just. CNN's melting the fuck down about it. I was watching it today uh, just because I'm just curious. Folks are just, CNN's having a fucking ball with it, honestly. Like, they're just like, this dude who's never worn a mask before, you know, contracts COVID. This is what happened. They didn't, they didn't show up to the debate having been tested. Did you hear that news? Yes. So they showed up to the debate like two or three hours before the debate was supposed to start. Um, And apparently Chris Wallace is on Fox saying that they had some sort of honor system in place that they trusted that the Trump campaign had tested everyone before they showed up. But it, which was like a strict protocol for folks who showed up to the debate. They had to have been tested prior to, you know, tested negative prior to entering, entering and mostly had to prove that they had been tested. Trump campaign said it was a thing. Turns out they weren't tested at all when they landed in Ohio. Whoever did the honor system with the Trump campaign, I have so many bridges in so many states to, t- to sell you. Like, hit me <laughs> up. I'm at Labor Kyle on Twitter. You can call me at 1-800-699-420-420. Yeah. Um, so fucking incredible. It's did you hear that the Biden campaign is the Biden campaign is pulling their negative ads. Apparently that was the thing they decided to do before this diagnosis, but I think that's just bullshit. There's, I, that is one thing that has pissed me the fuck off about Twitter today is all the people who are like, don't, don't make fun of the fact that the president might die. It's like, dude, he's a fascist. It's absurd that people are kowtowing and giving respect to someone who previously they would have, been happy to throw out a bunch of angry tweets about how he doesn't respect the presidency and this and that. I mean, uh, how do I want to put it? No one, no one necessarily is like rooting for death 
uh, as an entity and wanting all people to die or rooting for any individual to die. But it's like, um, how do I put it? The irony is just delicious. Mm-hmm. It's just, the sh- you, you can't help but feel the Shane Freud when it comes to the situation because who could have predicted it? Well, all, all of us could have predicted this. Like anyone who would have looked rationally at the evidence of the spread of this disease would have said, you know, maybe you should fucking put some piece of cloth on your face and, and buck up and just deal with it and set the right example. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I guess, I guess they couldn't be, you know, couldn't be driven to do that. I am reminded of Michael Brooks on Minority Report laughing his ass off when the news of Bolsonaro getting COVID broke while they were recording. That is the only appropriate response to this. It is objectively hilarious that this is fucking happening. It's like like from a Steve Martin movie. It's just like (laughs) so rich. The irony is just so in your face that it it reminds me of a Steve Martin movie. It's like I'm watching The Jerk, but it's politics. And like all of this stuff is just happening where it is over the top and yeah, it's exactly what you would expect to come to someone like that, but it still lands. And, and I mean, people are doing yeah, this gymnastics of trying to like be the good person, this, that, and the other, but it's like, motherfucker, this guy has been, you know, leading us off the cliff, like a bunch of lemmings and, you know, let him go, <laughs> let him fucking go off the cliff. If he's a lemming and let the lemmings go too, I mean, obviously, of course, the lemmings all have an infectious disease and they're living near us. So it's not like they're <laughs> over there, like they're around us. So this, this metaphor is even, even worse and more convoluted. But like, yeah, I, I, I just don't understand the impulse to, uh, to like reinstate this like obsession with civility or decorum when he clearly doesn't give a fuck about yeah. it. I mean, he's a bully, like treat a bully like you would treat a bully, you know, call a duck a duck if you see it. Like, it's just messed up to me. I'm more frustrated and just disappointed from the people in the liberal media sphere who are trying to, you know, say, oh, maybe Biden should suspend his campaign. Or, like, oh, that's fair. And it, it's just like, are you kidding me? This like, is why just... you lose. This exactly. is why you lose. You're not willing to move forward and pounce on your opponents when they're weak. I mean, this is a fucking judo match. This isn't, you know, some sort of like play nice game in, in the playground. Like we have a bully on our hands. Well, and, and it's it- interesting because, you know, Joe Biden really, you know, for his lackluster performance on Tuesday during the debate, spent a, a not insignificant amount of time pushing Trump on his, uh, you know, performance of uh, handling the fucking pandemic, right? And like, some of these same talking points are now essentially just like playing out in this, you know, drama of the White House becoming a COVID infested death trap, <laughs> you know, it's- three days later, like, and they're like, oh, well, you know, our thoughts and prayers are with their family and, and we're going to pull all mean ads because we think that's probably not fair. I, gu- I guarantee you some of the ads that they decided not to run are some of the like you know, uh, clips from the debate where he's talking about the, the COVID-19 pandemic and they now think it's, quote, in poor taste or whatever to release them. And it's like... The truth. Well, I mean, it shows that, what, like, the social constructions that sort of popular liberal politics have built over the past, you know, how, however long, and I don't, I don't know how to judge it in terms of its most 
contemporary discourses. But I mean, more than anything, what it shows is that like this is this is a useful the these sort of like liberal frameworks for engaging in political spaces is only useful for individuals maintaining their own particular status, their own particular understanding of the world, their worldview more just even more broadly than the specific situation. And it is in no way, shape or form good for taking power and using power, which is what politics actually is. But when you think that you're part of some a, a, a larger consensus with with the quote unquote other side of the aisle who you just need to, we need to get all the smart people in the room and get them to hash out all the world's problems because people haven't tried that already. Like when you, when you see yourself as the together with a, a, a further right portion of the right wing as a countervailing force against this disruption of Donald Trump, what it does, more than anything, and Donald Trump, I actually think he demonstrated this during the debate. Donald Trump is a monstrous, gigantic piece of trash, and but he has one tiny sliver of a benefit that comes from him. It's the it's that everyone in this, all these people in the media sphere, these liberals, these sort of like squishy centrists or whatever, who talk a lot about decorum and a lot about how you're supposed to do politics. They're the adults and everyone else are the children. He's just a disgusting bully. He's gross and he's mean. Uh, and he's also greedy and selfish. And, you know, I mean, any fucking schoolyard bully that I've ever met is basically all of those things. And I don't want to psychoanalyze him too much, but like, yeah, just, you don't you don't reason with those people. If someone just, is walking around, any t if, if there is someone that you see and any time they're walking around an urban space, they look like a villain in a bad Hallmark movie who's trying to find a community center to close, you should not be reasoning with that person. You should try and defeat them. And, all, <laughs> and, and more than anything, jokes aside, at the end of the day, I don't like this weird essentializing, like, quote unquote, wishing death, as they say, which I don't think is what a lot of people are doing. I think they're just no. laughing at the, I think they're just, you know, talking about comrade COVID or whatever, but like, like that all elements of that discourse are all the same. Nothing is different. It, there's no difference between me saying, I want to walk up to X person and shoot them in the head versus, oh, isn't it hilarious that Donald Trump got COVID? Oh man, I don't give a shit if he croaks from it or whatever. Is that like, there? The idea that there's no difference between any sort of point of desire just shows the idea that desire or, you know, even enjoyment, even humor, like, and this isn't this sort of like anti-PC argument when it comes to humor, but it's this idea that like your political decorum, what do you think, what do you think this is going to give you? What has this gifted you already? Well, what it's gifted you is, in the case of this per this hypothetical check mark that I'm talking about, it's probably a pretty decent, like you know, up upper middle media job, that sort of sphere, which is very comfortable, and it becomes easy to sort of acquiesce to that space, if you will. But like more than anything, that's just what's so pathetic to me is that like clearly you don't have any material stakes in all of this because if all of if all of these various quote unquote threats of violence or th uh, wish wishful wishing death on people are all exactly the same then like I, I just you know, a long rambly thought was going to come from that but at the end of the day I don't understand besides the fact that you're just willfully ignorant to the consequences of Donald Trump's actions that you can see prioritizing some sort of decorum is going to be any better than allowing even the slightest amount of catharsis in, in, in this context. It's just like, like 
what your alternative like like when when they go low we go high did not work it failed so like fuck get yeah. another playbook or shut yeah. the fuck up i don't and, know what else to say and and directly on the point of like dealing with this sort of behavior um you don't pay respect where respect is not paid right, right? i feel like that's just a basic point of has human relationships lives on his hands yeah and and he acts the way he acts and let's not excuse that let's call it what it is you know treat him like he treats other people until he changes his behavior it's, it's a fucking bully and it's threatening people's lives and so i think it's just completely understandable for people to be like oh man you know uh good thing it's not a big deal donald you'll get through it like, I'm, I'm so glad, I'm so glad that you just didn't take any precautions. Like, it's not a big deal, right? It's not a big deal. Why are you even going to the hospital? You know, like, it's just not a big deal. Like, you, you should be able to get through it at home because yeah. it's just a little flu, right? Yeah, it's you're so like, come on. Right? I mean, just fuck this. I mean, fuck this whole, yeah, treating him like we want to be treated. It's like, after a certain point, you draw a line. It's been four years, people. Right. Don't worry. You'll still be able to talk about how it's not a big deal after you're dead. Because, <laughs> because your family will take it up. It's cool. No worries. Yeah, I mean, it's so good. It's just, and you know, Twitter. Twitter's response to it is fucking hilarious that they're going to like, delete or suspend accounts, you know, delete tweets or suspend accounts when they're wishing donald trump to die i mean well you know you know how i feel about um uh thoughts and prayers so thoughts and prayers donald trump thoughts and prayers for sure i put my thoughts and prayers on my twitter account when i shared the video slightly edited of when i was streaming on twitch and live during the twitch stream i was told that bolsonaro had covid the first time uh and so if anyone wants to see my thoughts and prayers. Something that I think, um, whether we end now or later, but something that uh, might help uplift the mood after this discourse is that um, Jacob Wool has been charged with several felonies. <laughs> for robocalls, right? For like, <laughs> for like Yeah, for, for basically like election a, fraud. A robocall yeah, screen. Uh, I know uh, exactly what he did. I'm so no. glad I got That's to fantastic. see him. I'm so glad I got to see him in person before. You he did get to, to yell in his face, didn't you? Yeah, it was really fun. I just got to go up to him and tell him he sucks. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I wasn't going to interview him because he was obviously about to get mobbed by a bunch of people who were yelling at him and, and then ran away. Um, but yeah, he was there to cause trouble. And I, you know, I, I, I just really was like, well, hey, it's you. Like, oh my God, it's the guy from Twitter. <laughs> like... <laughs> You're a piece it's of the, shit. <laughs> it's the American psycho like wannabe that I've seen all over the internet that I just never thought I'd see in real life. Ooh, well, we have a we have a new development in uh, 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 Comrade COVID 2020. Um, Trump's campaign manager, uh, his new one, whatever his name is, Bill, what's his face, has tested positive as well. Oh my god, this really is like a super spreader event. Holy shit. The R this is on the RNC. Uh Ronna McDaniel, the chair of the RNC, has also tested positive. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Is mean... it <laughs> 12 people now? <laughs> I know I just oh giggled gosh. openly, but uh I'm, I'm going to uh wish them uh uh all the same thoughts and prayers that I plugged 
earlier that you can I, see? Uh, I, I, would, I would say that I wish them all of the same thoughts and prayers and resources that they have given the American people uh, over the same six months, generally speaking, with, with regard to getting through COVID. I would wish them all of the same resources and access yeah. uh, that the average person uh, who has dealt with COVID has, has had. I yeah. would just, wish them that. I would, just, them, I would, I would wish, just wish them that. That's what I would wish them. Um, and, and hope that maybe they think about what that means. The one problem, the one thing that I really think sucks, I really think sucks, is that uh, three journalists have also tested positive. Who all the fucking the, all the White, White House, House staff. Yeah, the, the people, White House not, And like, like the fucking, like, how many workers were in the Rose Garden that day? How many people in the kitchen have COVID now? How many, like, all right. these motherfuckers are going back and infesting every service and wage worker that they had talked with because they were too free and too proud to wear a mask or whatever. And they didn't realize that they were asymptomatic at the time. That's like, that's the critique that we need to be making is well, that, yeah, cel celebrating this is, you know, fun and funny as hell, but these individuals are, have absolutely affected normal, regular people. And mm -hmm. that, that is the only real like addendum or uh, that I think we need to be adding to that this is the That is the tragedy of this whole thing. Yeah. Thanks again for tuning in to Protean Pirate Radio. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to us tonight. If you love what you're hearing and would like to support us as we navigate the uncharted waters of our dystopian present, please consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash protean pod. Until next time.